have Libby here joining me today. And she's here to talk about her experience, strength, and hope with addiction. Welcome, Libby. Hi, guys. Happy to be here. What is your drug of choice? Drug that brought me to treatment and ultimately um, to getting sober was heroin, but I also struggled with pills and with alcohol and just about anything under the sun really was my drug of choice. I first started using alcohol kind of at the time that I think that most people in our culture do, like around 15, 16, and probably for about the same reasons. Honestly, I wanted to fit in with other kids at school. It was just what everyone was doing. Um, But even from the time that I was really young, like I noticed that the way that I used alcohol was different than the way that other people used it and I noticed pretty early on that like once I started I couldn't stop and as I got older that became more apparent that other people had that ability and I just never really had it to begin with and I began to lose control even more the more that my drinking progressed Day when I was 18, I felt like I just had to be drinking all the time. And by the time that I was 21 and I was old enough to go drinking in bars, I knew that I had a problem. And when drugs became a part of the picture, I actually thought that they were the solution to my alcoholism because I realized that I had a problem going to bars. I felt like I had to be there every night. I didn't feel okay within myself, within my body, um, unless I was drinking, unless I was drunk. And when I would drink, I would black out. And I really didn't like the way that that felt. And I didn't want to do it anymore, but I felt totally powerless over it. And then I started using opioids because a lot of people were doing that at the time. And I felt like, oh my gosh, like this is the solution to this problem that I was having because I felt like I could just sit at home at night and not need to go to the bar and not need to partake in some of the activities that I would do when I was drunk that would feel embarrassing. And I didn't wake up the next morning feeling like, oh my gosh, like I said this thing or I did this in front of these people. I really just felt like safe using drugs. And that just like escalated so quickly to me using drugs the way that I drank, using it every single day, feeling like I needed them to get out of bed to be able to do anything at all. Right. So you're drinking like socially kind of turned into like using drugs in isolation. Absolutely. So it did lead to an addiction. Do you think it took a while or do you think you were addicted straight from the start? I knew that I loved the way that opioids made me feel. I don't know that I would say I was chemically dependent right away. I mean, I know that there were a couple times when I knew I needed to stop because I didn't want to get addicted. And I could, but I didn't want to. Like, it was kind of like, what's the point? Before I started having any consequences or anything like that, like, I knew it was a problem. I knew it was out of control. I had a boyfriend at the time that I was living with, and, like, we were using together, and I was lying to him about how much I was using. Like he would go to work and I would like take all of our money and I would buy all the drugs and like lie to him about how much I was doing. And like, even with like other people that had drug problems, I was lying to them so that I could get more and things just were getting out of hand before there were any like really um, apparent, like externally apparent consequences. What do you think was a major factor in your life? Like, what do you think...
Oh my gosh. Um, well, yeah, it's totally all of it. A hundred percent. And I mean, I could go on for days about every, everything that I think contributed to it. It was just the perfect storm. I think for me, I don't know if I was biologically predisposed to have addictions. I know that a lot of people believe that. I'm not a scientist. I can't tell you. So, you know, there was a lot of alcoholism in my family that um, I've been told of. But also, I have like theories about generational trauma that can contribute to some of these things. I have a three and a half year old son and both of his parents, um, myself and his father, are both in recovery. My hope is that it's less genetic and more generational trauma. And I really try to do my best as a parent to do better so that maybe I can break that cycle a little bit. But I grew up in a dysfunctional home, as many of us did. And um, there was just a lot of not alcoholism in my immediate family, but definitely dysfunction definitely chaos, drama, mental illness. And I think that I just lacked a stable foundation right from the get-go. I also, I'm a Christian and I found my faith um, in a higher power in sobriety. And I didn't grow up with that. Uh, My parents went to church, but we weren't religious. I was kind of, I wasn't really talked to you about God. We didn't pray in the house and sort of the unspoken belief was that we believed in science and that was kind of like the end all be all. And that might work for some people. I definitely don't get me wrong. Science is real a hundred percent, but I do believe that both can exist and both have to exist um, for me personally. So being raised in a dysfunctional home, a lack of faith, lack of anything bigger than myself, immaturity to I really just was very emotionally immature, even in sobriety, until I became a parent, really. And I really just like had to grow up. Anxiety, wanting to fit in with other people, just not feeling okay with myself. Gosh, I could go on for days, but yeah, it's just a really complex thing. What caused me to be an addict? Would I still be addicted? You know, I don't know. I don't know. Right. I can relate to that so much. I got sober on January 14th of 2015. I was living in an apartment in Boston. I had no job. I had no job skills. My family was paying for my rent, which was kind of like a last resort. And I had been homeless. I had really just like had health consequences. I really was just like not doing great. No one knew what to do with me. I didn't know what to do with myself. And I just hit this point of desperation where I just remember sitting inside and feeling like maybe if I go outside, I'll feel okay. And then going outside and feeling like maybe if I go inside, I'll feel okay. And like buying pills, buying drugs, drinking alcohol, doing anything that I could just to like try to reach this state of like, I am okay. I don't feel like I'm dying inside. And there was nothing that I could do to reach that state. I was always convinced that it was something. I was always convinced that like maybe I had a vitamin deficiency or maybe I needed to like start doing yoga or that there was like something that like I could do. It was never like I need to get sober and it was absolutely never that I needed to find a higher power. I was suggested various times that I should go to a 12-step program I'd been to detox, I'd been to treatment a couple times, and that's kind of the standard thing that they tell you there Um, for me. And I hear a lot of addicts and alcoholics say this, but it just seemed like 
that was a little extreme. Like, yes, I, you know, I am sick. I was in the hospital. I am having like all these consequences. My life is completely unmanageable, but like an AA meeting, like, I don't think so. That's like really extreme. I'm not like those people. But my perception of what that was going to be like was old men, crusty old men in church basements drinking bad coffee. And some meetings are like that. Absolutely. I've definitely been to my fair share of that. Um, But that wasn't something that wasn't something that I was going to do. But I do remember just being completely hopeless. And at the time, I was living in Boston, which I already said, and it was really difficult. It might still be like this. I live in Southern California now. I've lived here for almost seven years. Um, so I don't know what the state is back there. But at the time, it was very difficult to get a bed in a detox. They were just so highly impacted. There was such a big problem. And there wasn't enough resources to be able to treat people back there. Yes. And I remember methadone mile. I was on the methadone clinic there um, at one period in time. And I remember I was living in um, a commercial art space in Roxbury. I like, I slept on a, like a little shelf above a closet and I would get up and I would walk in the freezing cold to the methadone clinic every morning down there. And it just reeked of misery and destruction. And I would see people sleeping on the side of the road and I remember one time I took a cab over there and the cab driver wouldn't let me just run in because of course he thought I was going to take off. He thought I was going to run away. It's just such an area that is just so riddled with depression and just desperation. And every single one of those people is like perfectly capable of being just like you and me. Like that person sleeping on the side of the road is they're just like us. We're all the same. But it's just crazy. Things are out of control over there. At least they were. Um, there are not enough resources available. And addiction's really difficult, too, because you can't make someone get help. You can see that there's a way out and that they would be a lot happier if they were not sleeping on the side of the road and that the solution might look so simple from the outside looking in. But someone has to want that for themselves. And a lot of times when you are just like at that bottom of that pit of desperation, you don't see that for yourself. I know for me, I wasn't thinking about like, well, what's my life going to be like a year from now or five years from now or even next week or even tomorrow? Like I was living for that day, for that moment, for that next high. I didn't care. I didn't really plan on living not like I was actively like planning to die or anything like that it just wasn't on my radar at all and you can't put those thoughts in someone else's head like they have to like be able to see something outside of this addiction and be able to actively say like I'm willing to go through a period of time that's really difficult in order to get out of this place but we can't do that for anyone else and it's so hard Right. You definitely have to do it on your own, um, no matter how many times you want to, like, force. Pre-COVID, I think it was a little bit easier for people to get help. And then during COVID, I think it was just, like, a shitstorm. But um, I don't know how it is in Boston because I'm not there anymore. I'm in Rhode Island. And then how is it in Cali? Is it it's similar, like, the scene? I will say that 
by the time that I got here in 2015, there were a lot more resources available here. Those resources do tend to be a lot more expensive. There are a lot more cash pay options out here. There's a cultural difference for sure. You have to make a lot of money to successfully live in Southern California. So I think that might be a part of it. And a lot of people whose families are willing to pay for them to go to treatment will choose to come here because it's Southern California and it's a more ideal setting to get sober in than Boston, Massachusetts in February. Right. Um, The warm weather. I feel like a lot of people go to Florida, I think. I did a little rehab tour in Florida at one point. It was not a good experience for me. I don't hear many success stories come out of Florida. That's not to say they don't exist because anywhere that you have a lot of treatment centers in a small area, you're going to have a lot of people leaving and relapsing and using drugs together. Did you kind of have like intervention when like your family or friends or boyfriend or whoever like notice? I did. I had been to several treatment centers and I had relapsed after every single one. Um, or I had left treatment early because I just couldn't sit through therapy or anything at that time. I just wasn't ready for it. I wasn't really ready for it by the time I got sober either. Um, but I was able to grasp onto enough and be willing to at least sit on my hands for a little bit, but I'm more stubborn than most. I did. I actually checked myself into a detox. I finally got myself on a waiting list. And I think the people at, um, it was St. Elizabeth's Hospital in Brighton, and they're really nice, but they just didn't have room for me, and they didn't take my insurance, and I didn't have any money, and I just kept on bothering them, and I think they got sick of me calling them eventually, and they were like, look, we don't take your insurance, but we'll figure something out. If you can just come here within like the next half hour, like we'll figure out a way to help you, so I did. Um, I walked over there. It was really cold. That's what I remember about being sober in Boston. I wasn't there very long in early sobriety, but I just remember it being like really cold and it being really hard to get around. But I um, I was just so desperate at the time and I was really like determined to do it on my own. I was like, I'm going to go to meetings. I'm going to like do this without any treatment because I didn't think treatment worked for me because I'd been a handful of times and I just like goofed around and didn't really participate in much of anything. I wasn't ready to do therapy at the time. It just wasn't. That just wasn't where I was at. But my family did have an intervention for me. My um, my Grammy and my grandpa and my mom actually blindsided me in the cafeteria at St. Elizabeth's and they had an interventionist and everything and they like read their letters and did the whole thing like textbook intervention and I didn't want to go at first. And I actually said I wasn't going to go. And my, uh, my grandparents were paying my rent and supporting me at the time. And they told me, you know, as families often do, we're not going to support you anymore if you refuse to go to treatment. And I had been homeless before many times. My family kicked me out when I was 18 years old. And I was in the foster care system for a while before that they lost custody of me for a period of time. And being homeless just wasn't a threat to me. It was like, okay, here we go again. Like, surprise, surprise, like my family's not showing up and not supportive and not loving, which isn't actually the truth. Now, um, I've done a lot of therapy, a lot of work around that issue. But um, 
that was how it felt at the time. I was like, so what? Like, I'm going to be homeless, whatever. Who cares? Right. Like, it's hard to care about something when you're in active addiction. It's hard to see any anything clear. Yeah. But I had five days sober at the time. Um, is it a lot of time? But to me, it was. To me, that was like, I fought tooth and nail for these five days. You know, of course, anyone that is seeing me like mess around for the last like however many years of my life and like not be able to be productive in any way, they're like, cool, you haven't used heroin in five days. Like, woohoo. But to me, like, that was a big deal, you know, and I wasn't in treatment, like, and I was just like taking the train to meetings and just like very lonely, very, very lonely. And I fought really hard for those five days. So it felt like a lot, but, um, I was determined that I was going to do it on my own, but I don't know, something changed. My family left the intervention and the interventionist stayed and we just had a little one-on-one talk for a minute. And once everyone was gone and they weren't trying to pressure me or threaten me or anything like that anymore, I just kind of like was like, okay, like whatever, that doesn't sound so bad. I'll go for 30 days. No big deal. And I did. I got on a plane. I went to Pennsylvania. I went to a treatment center there. And I was supposed to stay for 30 days. I made the decision myself after that, that I was going to stay for a couple more months, which I did. And when it was time to leave there, I decided I was going to continue to do treatment. But I was only going to go if I could go to Southern California. That was my stipulation. Um, And I did. And I got sent out here. And I just, I started my life over here. I was very involved in a 12-step fellowship for a long time. And I do attribute all of my early recovery really to that. Um, I went to meetings. I got a sponsor. I worked steps. I sponsored other women. Um, At first, I went to a treatment center, a residential treatment center. But it wasn't like a lockdown treatment center. Like, Like I could go out with a sponsor and like go to meetings with them and like we could go get our nails done or go get lunch or stuff like that like they kind of wanted to like allow us to have a little bit of freedom um, which makes sense to me you don't want someone to be like totally locked down and then be like okay well like now go be sober and live your life exactly the same way that you were doing it before like I think that a little bit of reintegration is really useful if you have that resource available to you and then after that, I chose to go to a sober living home and I was surrounded by other women. There wasn't like staff or therapists or anything like that. It was just a group of girls that were all um, holding each other accountable. We had a curfew. We were supposed to drug test. I don't really remember getting drug tested, to be honest, though. But I mean, it was pretty laid back, kind of like an apartment. But yeah, with like a little bit more structure. Yeah, I went through something like that as well. But that's interesting that you were in a place that gave you the freedom to be sober. I mean, I feel like, I don't know if I I haven't heard of that yet. I don't know. The options that I was giving in my detox, it was like programs. There was like this all-girl program in New York. I was like, no, absolutely not. And then there was like the Salvation Army in Rhode Island. So that's what I chose. With each of these programs, it seems like I mean, what they I don't think they're lockdown programs, but like inside the programs themselves, there's like very strict rules and like no, not that much freedom that you're explaining. So that's pretty interesting. It didn't feel like I had a lot of freedom at the time. To be fair, it felt like very much like I had 
I, I earned my phone back at a certain point, but I had to turn it in at like a certain time of night. But like, yeah, it was like strict when you first get there. And then they give you like a little bit more freedom as you go. And I think that I never saw anything like that back in Boston or anything like that. But I see a lot of programs structured like that in California. And I think it works. It gives you kind of like, like you said, freedom. I feel like you can kind of feel connected more to like the outside world, like the reality, instead of being like enclosed and like segregated and like different. But that can go either way too, you know, if someone's there and they don't want to be there or they're like in relapse mode. and Because that's what I was thinking. So like how much freedom does it leave people to get in trouble? (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I think that's why a gradual step down program is important. You know, I personally believe that if you're detoxing, you need to be in like a hospital type setting. And you don't need your phone for that week. You don't need to be contacting anyone like you need to be like away and like just detoxing. And then I think that a residential program, um, if available, is important after that. And I think that Maybe, like, you can make some phone calls and, like, contact outside people, but, like, you need to mostly be focusing on yourself for that period of time. And then after, I would say, the first 30 days, I think that it's then appropriate to be able to have more contact with the outside world and be able to start building your recovery network and starting to leave that treatment bubble and be able to be an actual person again. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, was your program faith-based at all or religious? Like, yes and no. Um, where I went in Pennsylvania did focus on the spiritual aspect, and that was something that they really emphasized. It wasn't something that I was really open to at the time. I got it. I got that everyone said, like, you need a higher power, and I would try, but I really wasn't. I was really raised to, like, believe that there wasn't anything other than science, and that was the end-all be-all, so I was kind of like, it's very hard to switch that mindset, like, you're gonna die if you don't believe in God. They did offer spiritual counseling and programming for that, Um, and then where I went in California, they did also have a spiritual staff member that would talk to us about spirituality, but they were not, neither of these were faith-based programs as you mentioned salvation army like i know that's a christian program it wasn't anything like that how long was the sober house or sober living i actually they gave me a job while i was there so i only lived there for maybe like two or three months as a client and then they gave me a job and i was the house manager they're actually pretty awesome they gave me a car to drive i didn't have a car i didn't have anything i had no money yeah so they like give me a car to drive and i would like drive the girls around to meetings and stuff like that and didn't really pay much of anything which kind of made it hard to leave that position but it was a great way to get me started and I went to school while I was there too and I became certified as an addiction counselor and from there I was able to work as a case manager at a women's detox no at a women's outpatient treatment center. And then eventually I worked at a detox for a little bit. Um, So I was actually working in treatment right up until the time that I left to raise my son. That's amazing. That's kind of like something. I mean, that's kind of what I want to do. But I think all that's on hold now, (laughs) now that I'm pregnant. But after, I definitely want to look into that. Yeah, that's amazing. What do you want to do? I definitely want 
to work with like something involving addiction um, and maybe psychology but yeah I'm getting my degree in psychology right now yeah I went back to school when my son was five months old I actually dropped out of high school so I had to start off at a community college but I did and I got my associate's degree in communication studies and now I'm finishing up my bachelor's degree in psychology at Cal State Long Beach yay that's exciting so proud of you what is your take on using personally or just other people using in general or just how it's portrayed One thing that I will say, and I think this is relevant to what you're asking, is that I wish it wasn't so weird to not drink alcohol. This is not a popular opinion with people in recovery, but I'm going to share it anyway because this is my experience. I don't know if I could drink safely or not. They say that you can't and that like you never can again. For me personally, I don't know if that's true. I at this point I'm not willing to test it and I find no reason not to and I just kind of have this mindset now of like yes I used to have a drinking problem I used to have a problem with drugs that's a part of my story I also am really health conscious and fitness based and not drinking really fits my lifestyle now so regardless of like why I got here like I choose not to drink and I wish it wasn't that weird I wish that there wasn't so much heavy energy around it Sometimes I worry that people that don't drink are not going to accept me because I don't drink. And I wish that that wasn't a thing. Like, I wish that people could see it a little bit more as, like, a preference. Such a stigma in today's society, though. I mean, I see, I guess I follow a lot of social media and stuff like that that is for not drinking. And I see a shift. I see a shift now more than I did before if that makes any sense. But I also do see like there's still this stigma surrounding it, how people like view non-drinkers or people who don't drink. So it can go both ways. But I hope the shift where people are beginning to see like that you don't need to drink or that not drinking is okay. It's just so widely accepted in society. And that's just hard because like you don't see the aftermath. And that's just something that always pisses me off. Because they just show like a glamorous um, portrayal of drinking. And then, you know. I mean, it's not exactly. I mean, alcohol is not a healthy substance. Like, let's. No, I mean, it's a drug, right? And just so much bad happens from it. It's not good for your body either. It's not. And I wish that that was like okay to just be like, you know, a lot of celebrities do not drink alcohol. And it's not because they're alcoholics. Some are. But I mean, some of them just. It has bad effects on their skin. They don't like not being able to control the way that they behave publicly. Because I can't imagine being a public figure. I mean, people tear you apart. Even if I wasn't an alcoholic or an addict or anything, I probably would not want to drink alcohol publicly if I was a celebrity and people were like watching my every move being like, oh, she said that she did that. But I mean, I feel like if people that are non-alcoholic drink responsibly it's not harmful to them like to have a drink or two but let's call it what it is alcohol is not a healthy thing you know so I feel like I wish that it wasn't so weird just be like oh I don't do that what are some of the steps you took to get clean and sober and I know you mentioned like 12-step programs you mentioned um sober living I think that for me one of the most important things was community meeting new people that were accepting of my lifestyle, Um, young people too, because I was only 25 when I got sober. So it was really important to me to have 
people that I could relate to because my idea like I said in the beginning was like sober people are like old crusty men in like churches that drink bad coffee and it was really important for me to meet like young women that wanted to go do the same things that I was doing and um, young men and women too you know having just like a normal young adult experience with just out drugs and alcohol and I was really fortunate to be able to find a place where I could do that yeah I get that being surrounded by the younger scene in recovery is so crucial I think when you are young in the scene (laughs) because you do see a lot of older people older generations and it's such a gap between like what they've experienced and what we've experienced so yeah that is definitely a good thing to get involved in definitely young people with young people but also the mixture is really good too I think though so you can learn like the differences from then into now and yeah I think mentorship is really important and I like how you mentioned like mixing age groups too because there are definitely women that are older than me that I've looked up to and I need that because if it's just like us going through the same experience same amount of time same age it's like the blind leading the blind and definitely like women surrounding with women because like I feel like our experience are sometimes different than men's and that's like a crucial step to like when you're in recovery as a woman like definitely surround yourself by a woman too when you said that you wanted to change and get sober yourself like that's huge that doesn't happen a lot in recovery surrounding addiction after we become sober life changes when we recover so how did that change affect you was it for the good for the bad and how is your life now in sobriety versus back then in active addiction oh my gosh I was a loser in active addiction I just like couldn't get it together I couldn't hold a job. I kept on getting in all these like dysfunctional relationships with guys and they all like blew up in my face and like I couldn't relate to my family and it was just like like nothing seemed to go right for me and I was always just kind of like shooting myself in the foot. There was just like I had nothing going for me and My life is like the exact opposite of that to me, to be honest. Like I've gotten to go to college. Um, I have a college degree. I'm working on another college degree. I'm a mom. I have a good relationship with my family. I have a good relationship with my son's father, which is huge. I have just like a lot going for me and I have a good perspective and I have a good relationship with my peers and I have done a lot of therapy and I feel like I have just a lot of really healthy ways of coping with things when they don't go right. Like my life looks absolutely nothing like what it looked like seven years ago. I'm just a different person. What are you most grateful for today and why? Oh, I am very grateful for snuggles because... My son this morning, I let him sleep in my bed last night and early this morning, he just curled up next to me and he doesn't usually snuggle like this, but he just like laid up next to me, put my arm around him and he just wanted to fall back asleep like that. And I'm not really a snuggly sleeper either, but I was like, you know what? I'm just going to enjoy this because these are the moments, you know, Um, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that 
I'm able to just be a healthy mom and to do better. You know, I do believe that generational trauma is definitely a thing. And I think that I'm breaking cycles and. Oh, hell yeah. I believe that you are. I believe that I am too. And yeah, yeah, that's, that's amazing. If we can, is there any advice at all that you would give to my audience, to the listeners, if they're still struggling with their addiction today? Yeah, as cliche as this sounds, I would say just don't use today no matter what. And that's like the most cliche thing that you hear anywhere, but it's so true. Like we have big feelings in early sobriety. I mean, we have big feelings always, but I think that being newly sober amplifies them or life circumstances when it's difficult to continue to stay sober amplifies them. And if that's you today, I would say just hang on the feelings do pass and it's always going to be an option later on to reevaluate if that's still what you want to do but maybe see if you can take a hot shower or call a friend or eat some yummy food first and see if you still feel that way in an hour or two it's so true and you know take it one day at a time don't have to use for today even though it's harder it sounds harder than it is but just don't just don't do it um and then finally what advice would you give um for anyone listening who is new to recovery or who has years in recovery and wants to recover it just gets better it's a good life they say that it's a life beyond your wildest dreams and it's absolutely true the things that you imagine for yourself are not anywhere near as big as the things that god has in store for you Thank you for coming on and sharing your experience. This has been refreshing and I'm so glad like I kind of get to I got to know you a little more. And I know we were friends like back in the day and we drank together and all that, but like I had no idea that you went through any of that. And you are very inspiring. I'm so proud of you. 7 years, 7 years to party. And that's amazing and well thanks for having me. It's been really great to connect with you. 